It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Listen Up. It's Grant Napier. I hope you are having a fabulous day. Boy, last night, uh, the NFL is so absolutely freaking crazy. I mean, how do you figure out this year? How do you figure out the National Football League this year from week to week? I mean, you look at the Packers, you look at the Buccaneers, you look at the Jets, you look at the Giants, you look at the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, there's no rhyme or reason. And last night, you know, the Bears absolutely destroy the New England Patriots. This is the Bears we're talking about here. You know, we're talking about the Chicago Bears. All right? You know, we're talking about a team that has, on paper, some pretty damn impressive wins this year. All right? You know, week one, you know, somehow in the pouring rain, uh, they beat San Francisco. They were really a, a team that you were like, wait, wait a minute. How is it that the Chicago Bears – when you look at that team and how bad they have played from time to time, have three wins. They win 33 to 14. 33 to 14 last night. I mean, crazy. Absolutely crazy. What's going on in the NFL? I mean, the Seahawks are four and three. You know, they go into SoFi. And I mean, before the second quarter even begins, it's 17 nothing. You know? Seattle goes in there with Geno Smith, who I think has been the biggest story in the National Football League this year. Again, I've, I, I name me a bigger story this year than Geno Smith. Name me one. Name me one player that you would put ahead of Geno Smith for the biggest story in the National Football League this year. You got Carolina holding the Bucks to three freaking points. 21 to 3 for their second win. I mean, think about the Panthers going into Sunday's game with a record of 1 and 4, or excuse me, 1 and 5 rather. And they hold the Bucks to 3 points. By the way, the Bucks had not scored until the fourth quarter. The Packers are 3 and 4, right? Matt Ryan has been benched, is no longer the starting quarterback of the Colts. I mean, it's unbelievable. It really is. It's unbelievable. And then when you look at the standings in the respective divisions in the National Football League, beginning with the AFC East, we knew Buffalo would be good. Raise your hand if near the halfway point, 
you had the Jets in second place in that division at five and two. I don't think anyone can complain when it complains, not the right word, but be surprised with Baltimore being up there with Cincinnati. But Baltimore has been extremely Jekyll and Hyde. How many games have they blown in the last couple of minutes? I don't think anyone can be surprised that the Titans are in first place in the South at four and two. I don't think anyone's surprised at the Chiefs being atop the AFC West at five and two. Philadelphia, the only undefeated team at six and zero. Oh. Everyone is shocked that the Giants are six and one. In the NFC North, the Vikes are five and one. I don't know if people would be shocked by that, but I think they would be. That Green Bay and Chicago were in second place at three and four. The NFC South, I mean, come on now. Tampa and Atlanta are in first place at three and four. Think about that for a minute. And in the NFC West, Seattle at four and three is in first place in the NFC West. Anybody out there have Seattle at four and three this year and in first place? And the NFC West? I don't think so. I don't even think Pete Carroll would have thought that. I don't think so. You think anyone, you think Pete Carroll thought his team would be four and three at this juncture of the season and ahead of everyone else in the NFC West? I don't think so. All right, coming up this week in two nights from now, Baltimore is at Tampa. Who the hell knows what you're going to get in that game? Here are your matchups on Sunday. Denver's in Jacksonville. Atlanta hosts Carolina. Chicago is at Dallas. Dolphins travel to take on the Lions in Detroit. Arizona's at Minnesota. Saints host the Raiders. Patriots are in New York to take on the Jets. Pittsburgh's at Philly. Tennessee's at Houston. Washington travels to Indy. Niners and Rams from SoFi in L.A. Giants, Seahawks in Seattle. Green Bay is at Buffalo. And Cincinnati is at Cleveland on Monday night. There's your matchup right there. All right, let's talk about the Kings for a minute. It will only take a minute. I mean, words are words. Talk is cheap. Tired of hearing about the defense. Really am. Tired of it. The bottom line is that the Kings are 0-3. That's it. Nothing else matters. You know, I don't really care how the team looks in practice. I did a whole podcast on this today. If you want to check it out, you can go to ifyoudontlikethat.com or your favorite podcast platform. Here's what I know. The Kings have played three games, and they're one of four teams without a win in the NBA. All right? Orlando's 0-4, who, by the way, the Kings play next week in the world of Disney. The Lakers are 0-3, and Oklahoma City is 0-3. Here's something else I know. A couple of teams that a lot of Sacramento fans thought they would be better than this year. Portland is one of those teams. Portland is 4-0. Another one of those teams is San Antonio. They're 3-1, and and they've won three games already on the road. Utah is another one of those teams. They're 3-1. and 
they've won two games already on the road. Think about this for a minute. Currently, and I know it's one week and we're just messing around because that's what we do. Three teams that are currently not in the top eight right now, all right, that you figure are going to be better than Sacramento this year. Minnesota, Denver, and Dallas. Not currently in the top eight in the West. So you got Memphis coming up on Thursday. Memphis is three and one. They just destroyed the Brooklyn Nets. And then you take on a struggling Miami Heat team to close out four or five at home. Miami's been brutal at one and three. So there you have it. All right. All right. Games tonight. Detroit's at Washington. Dallas is in New Orleans. No Zion Williamson. Shocking that he would be hurt already. Clippers in Oklahoma City. And Phoenix is home to Golden State. There's your NBA schedule. You know the routine. Hit your hand icon. Raise your hand. Uh, and we will put you on. All right. Baseball World Series. Got to wait a couple of days. Game one with the Astros and the Phillies. I think the Astros will win this series in five games. I think they are a superior team. What's interesting is the long layoff in this series, Philadelphia uh, and Houston. We'll see if that has an effect on the World Series. I, I get the Phillies are hot. I get they're that team. I just like the matchup. I like the Astros to win this series. A lot of talk about Aaron Judge and free agency. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm in a very, I, I know I'm in the minority on this. All right. I get that. And I'm a Yankee fan. I would not, I would not give Aaron Judge, you know, 350 to $400 million over 10 years. Not doing it. You want to go play somewhere else? Go play somewhere else. I'm not giving a guy who's 30 years old, all right, who strike out, who strikes out in the postseason. I'm not doing it, all right? Not going there. He'll be 31 when the season starts in April, or he turns 31 once the season begins. And I'm a huge Aaron Judge fan. I love the guy. He's a consummate Yankee. He should be the new, the next captain of the Yankees if he signs. But if I'm the Yankees, all right, I can lose with Aaron Judge just as easily as I can win with Aaron Judge. I'm sorry. I love what he did this year, but I don't like what he does in October. And I'm not giving a guy who in the first month of next year is going to be 31 a 10-year deal. Not doing it. Not doing it. Plain and simple. Not going there. We'll see what the Yankees do. We'll see what the Yankees do. All right, let's get to uh, some phone calls, and we start with Eli. Eli, welcome to the show. You're our leadoff man on this Tuesday. What's up, Eli? Hey, Grant. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. What's happening? Hey, so I haven't li listened to your podcast yet, so maybe you already covered this, but I had a question for you about the Kings. Um, so I think you've mentioned before you think their talent level is a little bit better this year. But it looks like they're, but their defense is still I obviously do. not good. So do you think, do you think there's anything that can even be done really from a coaching standpoint on that? Or do you think their players are just not good defensive players? 
I don't think coaching can fix bad defensive players. I'll put it to you that way because I hear the same thing every single October from the Kings coaching staff. Oh, we're working on defense. Oh, we're going to be better on defense. You know, the Kings uh, a couple of years ago brought in this quote unquote defensive guru coach from Oklahoma city. And uh, in watching him coach, I could tell he was a significantly different teacher of defense. And I thought that would resonate and improve the team's defense. It did not. And it told me that if you don't have good defensive players, you're really not going to be a good defensive team. You know, I keep on hearing about team defense, but not in this day and age in the NBA. You need to have good defensive players, and the Kings don't have enough of them. That's the bottom line. Okay, so they've just – they really haven't been able to recruit good defensive players for a long time. That's really what it comes to. They have a couple of them. I mean, but, but you know, let, let's use Davion Mitchell as an example. All right, he's a guy that gets on the ball and is a good defensive player. But the problem is, you know, early in this season, when he's on the floor, offensively it's like playing four against five because that's how bad he's been offensively. So, you know, there's give and take, right? I mean, you know, they, they, if you're a really good defensive player, you got to be able to play at least some offense. And if you're a really, really good offensive player, you got to be able to play some yeah. defense. So the Kings don't have enough of those quote unquote two way players. Okay, understood. Um, so I'd like to go down memory lane for a little bit, if you don't mind. I have a couple things for you today. The first yep. thing is I saw in the sack be that I guess today is the 20 year anniversary of when Doug Christie and Rick Fox got into that fight in the preseason game. <laughs> so I don't know if uh, you obviously remember that pretty well, I'm sure. But can you uh, take me back to like what the reaction was like at the time and how that was perceived by you and others? Well, you just knew you just knew that the rivalry was the best in the NBA. And the two, two teams flat out didn't like each other. And that's what I remember. I just remember the uh, distaste, the disdain for the respective teams. You know, and, and, and you knew that that happening in October would fuel the season series and the season ahead between those two teams. And it did. That's what I remember about it. Understood. Okay. Yeah. Too bad there wasn't a rematch that year. Um, and uh, so one last thing for you, I'm going to pull a Ryan here and ask you a trivia question. See if you know this, because I think most yep. people wouldn't. Um, do you know who played the most games for the Sacramento Kings in the Sacramento era? Uh, off the top of my head, I don't know. I, I do not. I'd have to think about that. Mm, I don't. Apparently it's it? Jason Thompson. Okay. Which really surprised right. me. <laughs> How the hell did that guy last that long here? Yeah, I don't know. Love Jason. Great guy. Um, then went on and played with the Warriors after the Kings. That does surprise me a little bit. That does surprise me a little bit. Yeah, it yeah, really he, does. He barely lasted in the NBA after he left Sacramento. So it was a little surprising correct. to me. So, yeah. Yeah. Interesting anyway. one, Eli. <laughs> yeah, that's all I had for you today, Grant. All right, bud. Have a good one. Take care now. All right. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, let's get to uh, some others right here. And uh, we are going to get to Preston. We'll see if Preston did his homework. Preston, good to have you on. How are you, buddy? Grant, they are eight miles apart from each other. Yep. What did I tell you, buddy? So you think they're still going to you think they're still going to fly when they play uh, one another? No. Okay. But um, I was going to say something else. I forgot what it was. Maybe uh, put it back in the audience and I'll think about it. Okay, bud. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. All right. Preston, by the way, um, yesterday when he called the show, 
was asking me if the Kings flew when they played the Warriors or bust. And I said on this past weekend, they took a bus, which I think is better because it's faster than flying. And the Kings for years and years used to fly when they used to play the Warriors. And I didn't understand that. I think it was the biggest waste of money I've ever seen. And Preston called up and asked me when the Nets and Knicks played each other, did they bus or did they fly? And I'm saying, I thought it was a joke at first. Preston, obviously not aware of the proximity between the Barclays Center and Madison Square Garden, which is a subway ride. All right. Not an airplane ride. So I said, you got a homework assignment. Go out and Google how far the Barclays Center is from MSG. And he came back and has done his homework and has let us know that eight miles is exactly what it is. Good job right there. Love that. All right. Let's get to uh, Jeff. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you, Grant. How are you today? I'm good, buddy. What's up? Hey, just a couple things. So last night I watched the game and, uh, you know, I have no right question in Bill, Bill Belichick. I mean, six, six, nine Super Bowls. But in your opinion, do you think he should have started Zappy instead of uh, Jones? I mean, Zappy's been playing his, his tail off the last the He had the team, you know, on his side. And they, it just looked like the momentum, you know, he, they they got themselves kind of in a hole momentum-wise. Yeah, I, I really have a difficult time second-guessing Bill Belichick. I guess that's the way I'll answer that question. Should have, could have. Uh, you know, he right. is arguably the greatest coach in the history of the National Football League. I'm not going to second-guess him. He knows his team a lot better than I do. Right. Right. That's and Secondly... This looks like Portland. I mean, geez, are they the surprise? I mean, they're winning with when Lillard goes off. They're winning when he doesn't go off. I mean, would they hold uh, Denver last night to uh, under 100? Very impressive. Points or so? yeah. And Jokic, I don't think Jokic got over 12 points. No, they pretty much held him in check. Uh, I'm not ready to yet anoint surprise teams in the NBA, considering right. the season started one week ago tonight. But I will say... Nobody expected the Blazers right. to be 4-0. They won last night 135 to 110. Okay. And Portland is off to another right. slow start. They got off to a slow start, you know, the last year and the last two years, actually. And Nikola Jokic was held, if you can believe this, to nine points and nine rebounds. All right. He had nine, yeah. nine, and nine. All right. Think about that. He could not oh, even yeah. score 10 yeah. points. And Portland scores 135 to go to 4-0. And, and uh, Nurk, what's his name? Nurkic. Nurkic. For, he outplayed Joe, uh, and he usually's not. He's yep. on or off. I mean, he's not consistent. I mean, you know, and, that's and correct. He, he played his tail off, and uh, he outplayed him. So, hey, the last he had the biggest plus. He had the biggest plus minus of anyone on the floor last night. Yeah. He had a plus twenty six, which is unbelievable. It is. I I, I couldn't believe it myself. So. Last thing, so the last couple of days, the NFL and or all kinds of people have been making a big deal out of these referees. They said they tried to get an autograph uh, from Evans, but then it was his phone number for golf, for a golf date or something. Right. What was your take on all that? Yep. Bang? Well, first of all, it's uh, another example of the media jumping to conclusions without knowing the facts. Uh, even Mike Evans came out and said he didn't ask me for my autograph, said that sure as hell did not happen. 
Uh, reps can't ask players for the autograph. So, you know, again, it's a mountain out of a molehill. It's nothing at all that should have been uh, made public without knowing the damn facts. Okay. It's ridiculous. Right. Right. I think the biggest thing they're trying to tie it into was betting and stuff like that, which they were, <laughs> they got their asses handed to them. Evans misses that catch, but still, I mean, they lose by almost three touchdowns. So. Yep. There's no way there. Well, anyway, the, and here's the other deal: an official's not going to put his job on the line asking for an autograph because the collective bargaining agreement between the NFL and the NFL uh, Referees Association prohibits game officials from seeking autographs. All right, and so an official is not going to right. do that, walking off the field into the tunnel and asking a player for his autograph. So once again, the media jumping at conclusions. Now, on your part, you are allowed as an announcer to have somewhat of a relationship with the referees and officials. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And I did. Yeah. I, you were saying that, yeah. Rest in peace. Uh, was your, is his Johnny Brown. Brown. Yes. Um, I, I followed his story, too. That was an amazing story with him coming back and going through. Hey, Grant, yep. you have a fantastic day. Look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thank you, Jeff. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. All right. Take care. All right, let's move along to uh, Connor. Connor, good to have you on the program today. How you doing, Connor? Doing good. How are you, Grant? I'm good, Connor. What's up, buddy? Well, there's not too much going on in the sports world today, which is kind of weird, but I just wanted to no. talk about the NFL. What a crazy season it's been, like you mentioned. Seems like anybody can beat anybody on any given week. It is unbelievable, which I think makes the NFL the greatest game going. I mean, look at this year as an example, and it happens every year. There's always one or two teams that you don't expect anything from that end up being very good. And this year, you know, three of the teams are the Jets, the Giants, and the Seahawks. Now, I might be leaving a team out or two. And conversely, teams that you think are going to be good, like Green Bay, look awful. So that's the National Football League, and it happens every single year. It happens every year. Yeah, I mean, who would have thought that Giants and Seahawks would be like the game of the week, basically, next week? It's incredible, isn't it? It's absolutely incredible that this game coming up will probably, in all likelihood, have playoff implications. So, I mean, if both teams make the playoffs, this could decide who has home field. And obviously, when you're talking about New York and Seattle, that's a huge deal. You know, forget about the home field advantage of Seattle or the or MetLife. Forget about that for a minute. The travel alone, think about that, is huge in a game of this magnitude. So this game is really important in addition to just being in a, a, a big game. And the Giants, you know, I talked about their injuries on the show yesterday, but DK Metcalf is not going to be on the field for Seattle. So the Giants getting a break there. You know, with Geno Smith losing, you know, the best target, one of the best targets in football. Yeah, that's a big help for the Giants. Yep. The big concern is going to be their rookie running back, Kenneth Walker Jr. But, yep. I mean, we've held a lot of running backs in check, so Absol- it should be a great match. Absolutely. And then conversely, you know, the Giants game plan with that noise, with two offensive linemen that started, you know, this year not being on the field, left guard and right tackle, that's going to be an issue for the Giants too. Are they going to be able to run their offense without false starts? Are they going to be able to be 
you know, as productive. You know, the one thing the Giants have done a nice job of not killing themselves with penalties this year. That's a different animal up there with the 12th man in Seattle. It's going to be an interesting game for sure. Yeah, this might be a stretch, but I think this might be Daniel Jones' biggest test of his career going into Seattle with maybe the first time yep. with anything revolving the playoffs with the Giants. So, I mean, let's see if he can keep playing like he has. One thing I saw about Daniel Jones, which was crazy to me, is that he's ranked as like the third worst quarterback in the fourth quarter by stats, which I just couldn't believe because, I mean, he looks great in the fourth quarter, in my opinion. He's been, he's been pretty much flawless in the fourth quarter with the exception of opening night or opening day. He had that bad interception to Barkley uh, in the fourth. I think that was early fourth quarter of that game. That looked like that was going to be a real costly interception. That was his worst throw of the season. But he's been outstanding in the fourth quarter this year. Not good, outstanding, you know. So we'll see. And then one other thing I wanted to talk about is rivalries. I know you did a podcast a while ago about it, but yep. it seems like rivalries in sports today are just, like, less powerful and stuff. Like, teams don't, like, get into a lot of, like, big fights with rivalries anymore. And, like, I saw in the Yankees-Astros series, like, no. those are those two teams have a big rivalry, especially in the last decade. And to see, like, Glaber Torres just chatting with Jose Altuve is just – that's terrible to me. Well, I'll give you an example. All right. This is before you were born, but I'm sure you probably know part of the history with the Yankees and the Red Sox in the 70s and the one game playoff at Fenway Park in 1978. Well, I interviewed the Yankees top reliever back then, Goose Gossage, who came in the game in the seventh inning in that one game playoff in 1978 at Fenway Park, the Bucky Dent game. And Goose came in in the seventh inning out of the bullpen and ended up closing the game. And I asked him about that. And he said, listen, he goes, we hated them and they hated us. And I told him, I said, it drives me crazy now when I see guys get on first base and they're laughing and joking it up with the first baseman. And he said, let me tell you something. He goes, that didn't happen when we played. We didn't like them. They didn't like us. There was no talking. We were trying to beat their ass and they were trying to beat our ass. And I got to tell you, you bring up a good point. I miss that, but that is the millennials. That's the new generation. Everyone's buddy, buddy, everyone's buddy, buddy on social media, or they're, you know, ripping each other on social media, but then they get on the field and it did the, it used to drive Jerry Reynolds and I crazy on Kings telecast. We would see guys at mid court at halftime. Okay. Joking and hanging out together on respective teams. And it used to drive Jerry crazy. And I remember talking to Jerry on TV about this. I said, Jerry, can you imagine Larry Bird or Michael Jordan or any of these players from that era at halftime standing at the midcourt line, shooting the breeze with one another and laughing and patting each other on the back? I mean, and, and he, he, he couldn't believe it either. I mean, again, it's just part of the new era that we're living in, in not only sports, but society in general. So. I'm with you. It has hurt rivalries. It's hurt rivalries quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, even the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry, I mean, that obviously hasn't gone away. But, I mean, look at, like, 15, totally 20 different. years ago when Pedro Martinez, like, pushed over. Yeah, it's totally different. Stuff. I mean, nothing totally like different. that As, uh, You have no idea, trust me, what it was like being at a Yankee-Red Sox game in the 70s. I mean, you know, now 
and I think this is good, by the way. I don't think this is bad. Now, if you go to Fenway Park wearing Yankees gear, you know, you don't have to worry about being abused and having stuff thrown on you. And conversely, if you are a Red Sox fan going in the Yankee Stadium, now you may get the occasional moron who's drunk, who does something stupid. But for the most part, you know, you can now go to each other's ballpark and root for your teams. You couldn't do that in the 70s. I mean, trust me, I was at Yankee Red Sox games in the 70s at Yankee Stadium. And if you were a Red Sox fan and you wore your gear into Yankee Stadium, you were going to get abused. All right. You were going to get abused. You were going to get stuff thrown at you at times. I mean, it wasn't kind. It wasn't cool. And, you know, in, in that was part of the robbery back then. That was part of the generation back then. That was part of being a sports fan back then. Now it's different. And I think it's better that way. I don't think fans should be able to – I don't think fans should be abused going into a stadium just because they're wearing the other team's colors. I do believe this, though. I believe if you're a fan going into another stadium's ballpark or another – excuse me, another team's stadium, you need to go in there with common sense, okay? If you're an NFL fan and you're going to root for your team at another NFL stadium, that's fine. But don't be belligerent. Don't be obnoxious. Go in there with some common sense. I do agree with that. I, I think that fans that root for their teams when they're on the road sometimes go in there and they're all liquored up and they try to be Mr. Tough Guy and, you know, they bring it upon themselves. And that's when trouble starts. I'm not a fan of that. Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously not, like, condoning violence and stuff, but it seems like sports today are missing, like, an extra layer of intensity. To a degree, yes. Um, I would also tell you I had the absolute pleasure of being on the sideline for all of the Giants 49ers games in the late 80s, standing on the Giants sidelines of two Monday night football games. Both were classics. And by the way, both were won by the 49ers. I was also on the field for the NFC Championship game when the Giants beat the 49ers and Matt Barr's game-winning kick. But the two Monday night games, when both the Giants and the 49ers were the two best teams in the NFC, when Bill Parcells was coaching the Giants, and it was Sims in Montana, and you had Ronnie Lott, and you had Jerry Rice, and you had Lawrence Taylor, and Harry Carson. Being on the sideline of those games was the most intense, incredible competition that I've ever experienced in my entire life. The competitiveness, the hostility between those two teams, the, the intensity was unlike anything I'd ever experienced anywhere in sport. It was absolutely unbelievable. Now, I'm not saying the NFL is not intense anymore. I'm not saying that. But look at, look at before the games. Look at, you know, at after games, you know, but before the games in particular – you know, all of the talking that goes on amongst players from respective teams, hanging out, laughing. I mean, you just didn't see that back then. This show is sponsored by Better Help. Stress. We all have it to a degree, big, small, but I think you can agree we all carry around different stressors. Most of you know what I've gone through the last four years, complete career change, moving across the country, filing a lawsuit, being in the news often, dealing with all of that, trust me, has not been easy. And if you keep things bottled up, it can really have a negative impact on your life. Therapy is a safe space. You get things off your chest. You can figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping 
coping skills. You can set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. And you know what, folks? It's not just for those who have experienced major trauma. Hey, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's online. It's easy, convenient, flexible, and it's suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash grant today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash grant. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, and then kind of branching off of that a little bit, I heard about this. I'm not sure I agree with it yet, but maybe you could help me with this because I saw some comparisons online of Giants fans comparing Daniel Jones to Phil Sims and the fact that they both have coaches that really support him and Dable and Parcells. So, I mean, I know Sims is like a all-time great kind of person, but do you see any comparisons there? No, no, there's no comparison. I mean, uh, Phil Sims was a vastly superior quarterback, but a completely different quarterback. Phil Sims did not run with the football, all right? You might have an occasional an occasional quarterback draw to fool the defense with Phil Sims, but the only time Phil ran with the football is when he had to run with the football. The Giants' offense is predicated on Daniel Jones running with the football. Bootlegs, quarterback draws, there are design plays for Daniel Jones to run the football. Daniel Jones ran for over 100 yards on Sunday. Phil Sims, I don't know if he ran for 100 yards in his total career. I mean, I know he did, but I'm trying to make a point here. So vastly different. Now, in terms of coaching, that aspect, and I know you brought up the coaching, I do believe there are some similarities. But Brian Dable is not a Bill Parcells type of a coach. You didn't see Bill Parcells uh, animated and as buddy-buddy with his players as you see Brian Dable. You know, you see Brian Dable running up to guys on the sideline. You didn't see Bill Parcells do that. That wasn't how Bill Parcells coached. Bill Parcells coached with an iron fist. That's how he coached. Brian Dable doesn't coach that way. So the difference between those two, and by the way, you can't coach in today's society, in today's generation, today's millennials. You can't coach the way Bill Parcells coached in the 80s and the 90s. The players would turn you off. The players would not be receptive to that type of a coach now. So it's, everything's different. Everything's different now. That's really interesting. And then one more thing, if you could kind of take me back or paint the picture of a big Giants memory that I wasn't a part of. How was it to see like the Scott Norwood kick that missed and them winning the Super Bowl and the curse of the Bills kind of thing? Well, I wasn't at that Super Bowl. I was watching it on TV, but I was at the Giants' first Super Bowl on January 25th, 1987. Uh, Being a season ticket holder, we won the lottery and had two tickets. And I went out to 
Los Angeles for the first time from Decatur, Illinois. And I will just tell you that being in that environment, watching that team win their first Super Bowl after I had grown up being at almost every single Giants game as a kid from age three on at Yankee Stadium and then moving into Giants Stadium and then going to college and not being able to get back for every game. But, you know, the Giants were a huge part of my life and they still are today. But being at that Super Bowl for the Giants winning their championship, and I had also flown home for the 49-3 win against the Niners and then the NFC Championship game where the Giants won 17-0. I'll tell you this. So my section at Giant Stadium is section 127, row 30. We had seats one and two. They were in the corner of the end zone. And you have to remember that you couldn't get tickets to the Giants. All right. You could not get season tickets. The waiting list was forever and ever. So when you used to go to the Giants games at Yankee Stadium, you would see the same people every single week. Every single week, you'd see the same people year after year after year after year. And so kids that I used to see at Yankee Stadium later in life, I saw them at Giants Stadium with their kids. Okay. So it was a generational thing. The, my dad had in his will, the Giants tickets willed to my brother and I. All right. That's how you kept the Giants within your family. And so when the Giants moved to Giants Stadium in the Meadowlands, there were Giants fans that had passed away. There were Giants fans that were my generation that then would be going to the games with their kids and used to see them every single week. And I'll never forget when the Giants beat Washington 17-0 to win the NFC Championship game, My, I was in seat one, so the aisle was right next to me. The guy across the aisle from me was probably 65 to 70 years old. I had seen him forever. Seen him since I was a kid at Yankee Stadium when he was there with his little kids. I looked across at him. Here's a full-grown man sobbing and crying at the game next to me. That he had witnessed the Giants winning an NFC championship game. And I just thought to myself, wow, you know, that's really what being a fan of a team was like. And so those are some of the memories that I had back in that era, being at Giants or being at, yeah, being at Giants Stadium for the NFC championship game was beyond incredible. Being at the Super Bowl in 1987 was incredible. And I went alone because my brother and father didn't want to go. And the face value, if you can believe this, Connor, the face value of the Giants or the Super Bowl tickets that I had lower level, 30 rows off the field on about the 35-yard line were $75 a piece. I sold my other ticket the night before the game in the parking lot at the Rose Bowl for $750. Now fast forward some, guess see, 87, 97, 07, some 25 years. And now I'm at the Super Bowl with my two kids, my sons, at Indianapolis when the Giants beat the Patriots for the second time. So to be a young Giants fan, being at the Rose Bowl and experiencing that in 1987, and then 25 years later, or yeah, I guess that's about what it would be, 
being at the Super Bowl with my two boys, like I've experienced everything that I need to experience in the world as a sports fan. And I really mean that. I've I've done it now. I don't need to do anymore. I experienced being at Game 7 at Madison Square Garden when the Rangers won the Stanley Cup in 1994. I've been to World Series games. Um, I, I, my, my sports bucket list for my teams is complete. I've done it. I don't need to do any more. So I don't know if I answered your question the way you wanted me to answer it, but I've experienced some pretty amazing things. I mean, those stories are incredible. The story about that guy at the Washington game crying just gave me chills. I mean, that's what it means to be a sports fan. Yes. I mean, I've been lucky enough. My dad had the two Super Bowls when he was growing up. I've been lucky to have two in my childhood. So, I mean, that's what it's all about in sports. Yep. That, that is what it's all about. And I got to tell you that as a, as a young boy, being at Yankee Stadium, and we had tickets in the bleachers at Yankee Stadium, and I got a chance to see all the great players. And we had season tickets for the Jets, too, and I hated the Jets. But I got to see Johnny Unitas play. I got to see Jim Brown play. I got to see Roger Staubach play. I got to see Bob Hayes play. You know, I I, I got a chance to see uh, Bubba Paris play. I got a chance to see Joe Namath play. You know, I got a chance to see some of the greatest players in the history of the National Football League in the golden era of the NFL play. And I was blessed to be able to do that. But to see the same fans as a little boy throughout my childhood and then into my adulthood and as a father and seeing the young kids with their fathers at the games. And I'll listen, I'm not being sexist here. There weren't a lot of women at the games in the sixties. All right. It was a predominantly male crowd. It's different. Now you see a lot of women at the games. I'm just painting the picture for you in the sixties. The dads were at the games with their sons. You very rarely would see a little girl at the game at the at Yankee Stadium. There were some, but I mean, I'm trying to paint the picture for you. It was a predominantly male crowd, okay? And the sons that I saw my age, that I then saw at Giant Stadium with their kids, to experience that and go through a generational thing, and I didn't even know their names, Connor. You know, you didn't, it's not like you would talk to them. You would just see them going up and down to the concessions or the restrooms, and you would you would put your hand up, hey, how you doing? All right, and you know, or they would smile, they would recognize you. You know what I mean? It wasn't like you would stop and BS with them, and you, that wasn't like that. It was just, hey, how you doing? You know, and it was like, almost like every year, you knew you would see certain people at the game, and you saw the same people in 1963, and you saw the same people in 2000 and 2005, you know, I mean, it was just unbelievable. I'm just telling you, it was absolutely incredible. Yeah. One of the best memories I have in person sports is a couple of years ago, my dad, or a long time ago, my dad took me to candlestick park and I got to see the giants and see Eli Manning play and Justin Tuck. We were sitting in like the second row, Justin Tuck waved right at me. So that was really cool. Very cool. Yep. Good memories. Connor, good having you on the show today, man. Good to reminisce. Appreciate that. Yeah, great conversation. Thanks. Thank you. I mean, that's what it's all. I've always said being a sports fan, like, I really gravitate towards people that 
go out of there. And when I listen, not everybody has the same resources. So I understand that. But when I see fans at road games supporting their team, or I go to road games and then I see all the fans with their jerseys on flying back to wherever they came from. I love that stuff. I absolutely love it. I love it. I just think that is great. And I'll tell you one of the neatest experiences is going to an NFL game on the road and seeing other fans of your team that have traveled from different places around the country to get to a game. I love that stuff. I'll never forget taking my two boys to the Giants Cowboys game in the playoffs at the old Texas Stadium in 2007 when the Cowboys were the number one seed. And we got to the stadium, I don't know, three hours, four hours before the game. And we're hanging out in the parking lot, throwing a football around. And a guy comes up to us and says, Hey, where, where are you from? What are you doing? They go, hey, we got a whole bunch of food and everything over here. If you want to come tailgate with us, and I, he was the, and we go over there, and it's half Cowboys fans and half Giants fans. And I was like, wow, how cool is this? And we had the most amazing time sitting in the parking lot. And this is the playoffs now. And I will tell you, we were in the. Uh, I got my tickets on StubHub, and we were sitting in the end zone on the lower level. And we all had our Giants gear on. And you know what? We were in the Cowboy fans were all around us. They could not have been nicer, more hospitable. The Giants won the game. We walked out of the stadium. No one cursed at us. Nobody. I mean, the, the Cowboy fans were as classy as you can be. It was a phenomenal experience. And we were cheering for our team. We weren't belligerent, but we got excited when the Giants scored and we were cheering. And there were other Giants fans there. Don't get me wrong, but. Nobody told us to shut the hell up. Nobody cursed at us. It was a phenomenal experience. It really was. It was great. All right, let's get to John. John, welcome to the program. How are you today, buddy? I'm doing great, Grant. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Go ahead. Well, hey, listen to the Connor talk, and you talking to Connor about Giants memories that he wasn't around for. That's freaking fantastic, and you know, some of those giant schemes you're talking about, I remember being 13 or 14 years old and uh, both of those Monday night games were back to back. If I recall. And yes, they were uh, me being a Cowboys fan. Almost everybody else around me was either a, a Los Angeles Rams fan long before they left and came back and, and a 49ers fan. And one of those games yep. was like six to nine or something. Yeah, well, one of the games that the Giants played was 7-3. They lost. That was the game where Ronnie Lott and Phil Sims got into it at the end of the game. I was not at the game in 1986 because I had not yet lived in California. I was working in Decatur, Illinois, and that's the game that the 49ers were winning 17 to nothing at half, and the Giants scored three third-quarter touchdowns, including the Mark Bavaro pass, where he carried half the 49ers team down the field for about 10 or 15 yards. And the Giants scored three touchdowns in the third quarter to lead 21-17. And that was the only – that was the last scoring. The Giants beat the 49ers on Monday night. And I'll never forget this because the next game that the Giants played was at Washington. It was a huge game. And the Giants won the toss. 
And the Giants were predominantly a running team with Joe Morris. They were short, but and on the first play of the game, the Giants didn't play. Well, they had this guy named Lawrence Taylor and this yeah. guy named Mark Bavaro. Those two dudes changed change football. Yep. But I mean, on the first play of the next, the, the first play of the following weekend, when the Giants went play action and had a big gain over the middle. I said the Giants are going to win the Super Bowl this year. I knew it right then and there, and they did, and they did. But that 49er, those three 49er games on Monday night, all in San Francisco, 1986, Joe Montana, Phil Sims, you had Jerry Rice, you had Roger Craig, Lawrence Taylor. Giants win that game 21-17. The next two Monday night games, and I'll never forget this, the last Monday night game, the Giants lose – and I'll never forget, I'm in the uh, media press conference with Bill Parcells standing outside the Giants locker room. And I remember Bill answering a question this way. I have a feeling we'll be seeing these guys again. And they did. And it was the NFC Championship game, the Roger Craig fumble, the Matt Barr kick. And I was standing under the end zone when Matt Barr made the kick. I was on yeah. the field. And I was standing just to the left of the upright on the end line when Matt Barr made that kick. Those games in San Francisco between the Giants and the 49ers were epic battles. That was when those two teams were the best teams in football, and they were epic, epic matchups. Think about how many players were on the field for those games that are now in the Hall of Fame. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Man, it is fantastic. It was the clash that everybody knew that it was going to come to that. And it was if the Giants won the first game, they're going to win the next. And it happened like that. It was amazing. Everything was so amazing back then. And, hey, those guys, when they got hurt, there was a thing called a quarterback sneak. And that was the run. There was no design quarterback runs back then. It was if you're in big trouble, you take, you know, put your big boy pants on and you get out of trouble. Other than that, there was a quarterback sneak. And there's only a handful of teams, really, that even do a quarterback sneak. Obviously, Josh Allen does it now. But even yep. when he does yep. it, it's a designed run. So well, you know, I know back then, too, you had Bill Walsh and Bill Parcells, you know, two masterminds. Two, oh, yeah. So everything about that rivalry in the 80s was great, from the head coach down to uh, Joe Montana and going against Lawrence Taylor. And, you know, you can go on and on. But it, it, those, those were great, great years of football. Hey, it was Connor who asked that question, and you gave him such a detailed answer. It brings back all the memories for me, for every single person listening here to you, Grant. You know what I mean? I mean, thanks, John. It, it I appreciate it, buddy. Passionate like that, and you're you're a great storyteller. I, Can't wait till you move back to SAC, and you know what I mean. 
three to seven every day, buddy. <laughs> See you, John. Be good, buddy. Appreciate hey, buddy. you. All right, good stuff right there. You too, buddy. But that era of football may be my favorite. You know, you had the Bears 85 defense, which was unbelievable. And I covered that team when I was in Illinois. And going to Soldier Field was amazing. And being around those characters was amazing. You know, you think about that team, Walter Payton, Mike Singletary, Jim McMahon. I mean, that was incredible. And I'll, I'll never forget interviewing Mike Singletary and Walter Payton. They were the most polite, humble, incredible athletes to interview. The late Walter Payton, the great Mike Singletary, and just incredible. Incredible. I'll never forget interviewing Mike Ditka in training camp the year after they won the Super Bowl. And I'm up there in Platteville, Wisconsin at the Bears training camp. Now, you got to remember, the Bears had just had the Super Bowl shuffle. They got the fridge. They got the Bears 85 defense with Buddy Ryan. You, I mean, what I mean, they, 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 I was thinking of the year 85. They won the Super Bowl actually in 86, but the season was 85. And you had Buddy Ryan's defense. You had – these were like rock stars, all right? And I'll never forget – going up to Mike Ditka on the practice field after practice, after we had done his media scrum and said, Hey Mike, can I get a quick word with you? And he looked at me like, who the hell are you? And he goes, well, it's gotta be quick. And I, I got to get off the field. So Mike Ditka walks off the field with me and my cameraman is walking backwards, shooting the interview with me and Mike. And I asked him three questions and he was good. But it was an interview as we were walking off the practice field. And I was also looking at my cameraman to make sure that there was nobody behind him so he wouldn't go spiraling backwards. Mike Larry, I remember the guy's name. Mike Larry was my cameraman. He was the best. Mike's still in Sacramento. Love Mike. Great guy. And Mike was, you know, when Mike was on the camera, you never had to worry about a thing. And I didn't worry about anything with Mike. Mike was great. But I'll never forget that interview that I had with Mike Ditka in 1986. Never forget that. And then I, I, I remember going into the Bears locker room after practice that day and getting an interview with Walter Payton and Mike Singletary. They were great. Could not have been nicer. Could not have been nicer. But that was uh, that interview was one that will always stick out with me walking off the field interviewing Mike Ditka you know, with his gruff and he didn't want to do it, but he did it anyway. And it's like, you gotta go. We got to do it. I got to go. We got to walk off the field. We got to do it coming off the field. I'm like, okay, coach, we can do it walking off the field. I met some great people. I got to tell you during that era, you know, the Cardinals used to train in Illinois and I used to, I used to love going and interviewing Neil Lomax. He was great. What a great guy Neil Lomax was. And Jim Hannafin was the head coach. What a, Football, just he was another great guy. Larry Wilson, who I, as a kid, watched kill people on the field at Yankee Stadium when he was a defensive back for the Cardinals. Nobody hit harder than Larry Wilson. And I'll never forget when I walked into Mattoon, Illinois, to cover the Cardinals one day, and I had to go get our press credentials first to get onto the field. And I remember walking up into the Cardinals PR office, and Larry Wilson 
The Cardinals general manager is there. And Larry could not have been more gracious, more hospitable. And he comes up to me and introduces himself to me. And he says, hey, it's great to have you here. Thank you so much for covering our team. And I said, sir, I, I just have to tell you, I said, I was a kid growing up, had season tickets to the Giants, and you were truly one of my favorite players to ever watch. And we sat there for probably 20 minutes talking about that era of football and being and playing against the Giants at Yankee Stadium and being part of the NFL back then. And he could not have been nicer. If you don't know who he is, just Google him and look at how he played in football. That guy was, was a freaking warrior. So I've had some pretty neat experiences. I, I really have. And I've met some people that I used to idolize. I shouldn't say idolize. I didn't idolize Larry Wilson, but I was like, as a young kid, like literally as a young boy, I was just like, oh my God, wow, this guy's just amazing. That's how good he was. He, he he made an impact on me as a young boy of how to play football. Man, oh, man, he was something else. He really was. He was something else. All right, let's get to uh, some more phone calls, and uh, we're going to say hello to Jerry. Hey, Jerry, how are you? I'm fine, Grant. How are you, sir? I'm good, bud. What's happening? Grant, those stories, man, I mean, I can listen to those for hours and hours and hours, and I just want to say that you, my friend, have had a very blessed life. Uh <laughs> Wow. Yes, I have. Just hearing story after story after story. Man, uh, Connor, it's like, you know, dude, that guy knows how to ask some questions. He's very, very, very good. Yeah. Yeah. He is very good. He's, and he's, he's extremely knowledgeable. And I, I have always appreciated that about him, but I love reminisce, Jerry. I've had some great memories. I've been very blessed. I mean, in all sports to be in some incredible situations. So, I look back at my career and I'm like, wow, I can't believe some of the things I had a chance to experience. Grant, people would kill just for just to get a quarter of what you've been through in yep. your life. Wow. Just, yep. uh, Grant, I have a couple things for you, Grant. Uh, if the Packers keep on struggling like this and if they don't make the postseason, you think Aaron Rodgers, uh, this will be his final year? Could very well be. It would not surprise me. Um, if Aaron doesn't see light at the end of the tunnel in Green Bay, I would think he probably would not come back. I could see him. Yes. I could see him saying that's it. If he thinks that the Packers, their run is over and their door is closed. I could see that happening. Yes. And Grant, uh, one more thing uh, about the, uh, about the great teams that the Spurs had uh, with uh, Bruce Bowen and all that great defensive yep. players. Uh, were they good defensive players coming out of college or did Popovich and his team teach the guys how to play defense? That's a great question. I, I don't know the answer to that question because I, I can't remember the players uh, individually in college. I know David Robinson was right. a good defensive player. I know that he was a shot blocker, obviously, with the size. And I know he had defensive prowess. Uh, I don't know what Tim Duncan was like at Wake Forest. but And, and I don't know what Bruce Bowen was like in college. So I, I, I can't answer that question. I don't know. But we do know one thing. They defended the hell out of you. That That's what we, we do know. Yes. Sir. You know? Yeah, they did. You know, Grant, because I was just saying that because, you know, if defense can be taught, then what's going on in Sacramento, man? I mean, it's, you know, one, you know, 115, <laughs> yeah, I know. 111, uh, one, 130. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, just like you said yeah. earlier, uh, you know, enough with the words, go out there and show me, show me how to do it. Yep. Amen, Jerry. Grant, thanks Amen. for the call, Grant. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Jerry. 
Thank you very much. Hey, don't forget tomorrow at 3 o'clock Pacific, YouTube Live, Jerry Reynolds will be with me. You think we're going to have a lot to talk about tomorrow? 3 o'clock Pacific. Make sure you join me on my YouTube Live channel if you don't like that with Grant Napier. It is going to be a lot of fun. And then right back here, our open forum Wednesday on Listen App at 4 o'clock. All right? My podcast today, I talk about the agony of being a Sacramento Kings fan. If you did not get a chance to check it out, do so on your favorite podcast platform or just go to my website, if you don't like that.com. Good show today. I love storytelling. I really do. I've got so many experiences over my career that I love talking about. But Connor, good questions. And there was nothing quite like that era of football to me back then when football was really football. All right. I mean, <laughs> there were violent collisions on the field back then. <laughs> that, that, that was that was truly a man's game. I'm not saying it's not now, but uh, the rules were a little bit different back in that era of football. And, you know, you think about the coach of the Niners, Bill Walsh and Bill Parcells. And, you, you know, to me, still Joe Montana, one of the great, great, great of all time, Jerry Rice. I mean, Lawrence Taylor. You think about the greats that played in those games. Those were phenomenal battles back then. A lot of fun talking about it. A lot of fun doing today's show. Have yourself a great rest of the day. Don't forget, tomorrow, 3 o'clock Pacific, my YouTube live channel with Jerry Reynolds. So long, everybody. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.